John 16, 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you come from God and know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless now the preaching. Are you ready to overcome the world? The world hates you. It aims its hate at you, hoping that you will scatter rather than abide in Christ. The world hates you. It wants you to compromise the definition of righteousness. It wants you to panic or despair in the face of tribulation. It wants you to doubt or outright deny the love of God for you in Christ. But are you ready to overcome the world? In John 16, the disciples are not. They are currently unable to overcome the world. And as we've discussed, this is a function of timing. Jesus has neither died nor been raised. The spirit has not been sent. The revelation of God is still veiled from their understanding. After the cross... It will become clear. Before the cross, they can't make any sense of it. After the cross, the Spirit will give them understanding. Right now, Jesus' words just seem like riddles, figures of speech. The disciples, therefore, are not ready to overcome the world. When the world's hate comes at them through the arrest and crucifixion of their master, They tuck tail and run. They head back, back to the lives they had before, believing in some measure that the world has conquered them instead. So what does it look like to overcome the world? Our understanding of this, of course, comes from Jesus. He says in verse 33, I have overcome the world. He was ready to overcome the world, and by what he did, in connection with these words, we can understand what it means and looks like to overcome. He's brought it up now several times in this context, and does so again here. It's in fact what Jesus himself will do next. So the first thing we see about what it is to overcome the world is that those who have overcome make bold petitions to the Father. 
They petition the Father boldly for the accomplishment of his purposes. Jesus has talked about it again and again, and it's what he'll do next in chapter 17. He tells them that overcomers know and use and enjoy the access to the Father that they have. And before, when he had told them to pray in his name, he wasn't distancing them from the Father. He was actually inviting them to draw in more closely. They could have wrongly understood him to be saying that with Christ as mediator, they now have less access to the Father. And that's not right at all. So he clarifies in verse 26, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Chapter 17's high priestly prayer occurs because Jesus, intimately aware of the love of the Father, is able to boldly petition him for the completion of his will. The disciples will scatter at Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. They have not yet overcome. But Jesus trusts that in his Father's love, they will be drawn back by the resurrection then they will overcome. And the courage and confidence of faith in Christ will become the foundation of the Christian church. This is what it looks like to have overcome the world. Through this mutual love with the Father and alignment with his will, we ask boldly for and then receive the things for which we pray. Jesus is ready. He has overcome the world and this is exactly what he will do. Living within that mutual love with the Father, he comes boldly before the throne of grace and asks, thy will be done. He also, therefore, possesses peace despite tribulation. One teacher writes, however badly he will be abandoned by his disciples, Jesus is assured of his Father's support. And however grave the temporary defection of his disciples may be, Jesus looks beyond their collapse and sees their restoration. One of my favorite writers on the subject of courage said that for courage to be present, danger must be present as well. The circumstances must actually warrant fear or anxiety if the resisting of fear and anxiety is to be called courageous. Obedience in good times, with good outcomes, is good and godly. But it is not courageous. Courage is peace in obedience, despite tribulation. And to do this, we must overcome the world. Jesus has. It's why the world's fiery darts do not deter him from the Father's plan. It's why he's able to walk in perfect, righteous obedience, completely aligned with the Father's will, as unsettling as the future seems to be. His love for the Father is unwavering. And as this incredible tribulation approaches where he will be in his humanity separated from the love of God. We think about the pain on the cross. He will be separated from the love of God for our sins. And as this approaches, 
He rests in the Father's love with perfect peace. It's looking into the future and seeing what feels like only darkness and yet resting in the Father's perfect peace. Zooming out for a moment, we can be confident that this approach works not just for him, but for his followers also. We have the example of the disciples. What will these tentative, confused disciples become when they, through Christ, also overcome the world? They'll be courageous lions for the kingdom of God, willing and able to face persecution and the hatred of the world as they lay stone upon stone building the church of Jesus Christ. These men who run cowardly from a preteen girl can't even tell them the, her the truth about who they are, will become lions of the faith. Think also about the clarity they will provide through the New Testament writings, under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, through their post-Pentecostal labors, all these enigmas, these figures of speech in God's redemptive plan will be made clear to all who believe. Set aside Jesus' teaching in the gospel next to Romans or next to the epistles, next to the teachings and the sermons and acts. What a gain in clarity that comes through the cross and through the Spirit. Jesus is ready to overcome. In fact, he has already overcome. And in the Father's providential timing, the disciples will be ready too. We will see this work. They will entrust themselves completely to the Father's love, and then they'll be able to respond to tribulation with perfect peace. But what about you? Are you ready to overcome the world? Do you feel as though you can boldly petition the Father for his will? Do you feel as though you can have courageous peace in times of tribulation? It begins, as it begins with Jesus, by living every moment with full awareness of the Father's love. That's his invitation to the disciples. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. You hear the kindness in these words. One pastor wrote, The disciples don't understand. Their faith is weak. Their trust is shallow. They're filled with sorrow when they should be filled with joy. Yet to them, Jesus says, the Father himself loves you. What kindness. This isn't the first time we've heard Jesus inviting his people into the stream of Trinitarian love, is it? As he remains in the Father's love through obedience to his will, we now entering into this stream of love by grace through faith, we abide by our obedience to Christ. And in that abiding, like we talked about last week, it's, it's how we bear good fruit. It's how we know the will of God. It's how we have joy in our salvation. It's how we know what to pray for. And it's how we get the things for which we pray. It's all together of a kind. And it begins with this invitation to live in the stream of divine love. 
when we're discouraged by our own faith? This example should reassure us. In only a few hours, these disciples would be overcome by indifference toward the Father's plan and by cowardice in the face of opposition. But genuine faith, even expressed weakly, is accepted by their loving Father. The prophet Isaiah said of the Lord's servant, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Maybe you're that reed, stretched nearly to the breaking point and filled with pain or doubt, or the smoldering wick nearly extinguished except for the faintest wisps of smoke. These disciples soon would be, their faith hanging by a thread. And to this, Jesus says, the Father loves you. To use another's words, the Father can see the reality even under much infirmity. And when he sees it, he is graciously pleased. However fragile and faint we are, by faith, God receives us in his love. I've observed people mired in selfish pride. I've observed people buried under the weight of shame. I've observed people made spiritually weary by the world. I've observed those who are angry and cannot forgive. Very different one from another. And yet, the full conviction of the same fact would heal them all. The Father loves you. Lay down your pride. You have complete acceptance before God in Christ. Your comparisons to others are unnecessary. He loves the person he's making you to be, not the person you think you need to claim in your boast to others. Lay down your pride. The Father loves you. Lay down your shame at the foot of the cross. Aren't you in Christ Jesus? There is no condemnation here except from the father of lies. He will never turn away from your repentance. Lay down your shame. The father loves you. We all get weary. But do we not have the joy of the Lord as a source of ever-present strength? And is not more available? If we go where it can be found, will he withhold it from us? And what could we fail to forgive when we grasp with full assurance the forgiveness we have been given because the Father loves us? The disciples will overcome, but here they misfire. (laughs) They said, ah, Now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? (laughs) If we are to overcome the world, we cannot trust in our own strength. For a moment here, that's what the disciples do. 
They speak so boldly of their own understanding, even though Christ just told them they cannot yet understand. They speak so boldly of their own faith, what they're going to do. But he warns them in short order they'll run for the safety of home. In his first epistle, John will later write that perfect love casts out fear. This scene and a few more that are to come in John will show the current imperfection of the disciples' faith. This we already knew, and they knew it too. But don't those moments of self-deception sometimes creep in? When we convince ourselves that we've made it, that we've got control of this, that I can do all things through me who strengthens me? Jesus said they would not be empowered to understand until after his resurrection. And they say they have that power now. He said they would not be able to understand until the helper came to lead them into all truth. And they say they understand now. And Jesus is exasperated when he responds, now you believe. But he's not exasperated just because they're wrong. He's exasperated because they cannot see the strength of faith they imagine by their own strength is far from reality and even further from what they will need to actually overcome the world. Kids, think about how much common wisdom tries to lead us this direction and away from God. Follow your heart. Suggests that what's best is not what God says is good, but what we desire for ourselves. You can be anything you desire. Suggests that our strength and determination secures our future rather than God's providential will and his enabling power. God helps those who help themselves. Claims that we should trust ourselves and no one else to look after us. We should take things into our own hands because we cannot entrust ourselves to his hands. This is not common wisdom. It's common folly. We will never overcome the world by trusting in our own strength. We will never get the desires of our hearts when, hearts set against God, we rely on our strength to accomplish our wills rather than coming boldly before his throne and petitioning the accomplishment of his. We will never have peace in times of tribulation when, if it's to be, it's up to me. And the disciples here think in their own strength they're going to overcome the world. And what will happen to these disciples is they will look as foolish as the knights of the round table before the French taunters screaming, run away, run away. Because that's where our own strength leads. We can overcome the world only when we abide in Christ. We must cling to him and to his overcoming. It was just a few passages ago that Jesus connected the experience of disciples to those of their master. If the master's hated, the disciples will be hated. And that's true for opposition and for difficulty, yes, but it's also true for overcoming. He has conquered the world. If they abide in him, the disciples can conquer also. And that's why, and that's what they do. 
It's what they will do. They abide in him. And so they do overcome the world. If we want to overcome the world, it will not be accomplished in any other way. Think about the encouragement you get trying any new thing when you're accompanied by someone who has done it before. The apparently impossible becomes possible when you know that it's already been done. The second person to climb Everest had an unfathomable advantage over the first person. He knew it was possible. He knew it had been done. And how many times have you thought to yourself, this can't be done, only to find renewed strength in the proof that you're wrong. Somebody else just did it. Despite their overconfidence, the disciples are so weak here. And that's why Jesus, when he's arrested and crucifies, sees them scatter, overcome the world, can't be done. (laughs) But once he is raised, once he overcomes the world, even death itself, everything changes. It's possible. Not only can it be done, their master has done it. And he who overcame sends them his spirit and they can do it also. Perhaps you cannot imagine persevering through your current crisis. Abide in Christ who persevered to the end. Perhaps you cannot imagine having peace in the face of tribulation. It's impossible. Abide in Christ. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Perhaps you cannot imagine putting a specific sin in your life to death. I'll just always be this way. It can't be done. Christ himself broke its chains for you. Perhaps you cannot imagine being able to forgive. The hurt is just too deep. Christ himself said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Please don't hear in this the simple spiritual be more like Jesus. That's a good thing to be more like Jesus. But return to my Everest example. Abiding in Christ, looking to his example, should give you the confidence that all of this can be done, actually in you, in your life. Whatever it is in your life right now, finding peace, believing in joy, being reconciled, offering forgiveness, that your master overcame the world means you can do it too. It can be done. The world can continue its attacks. It will. But Christ has overcome the world. The victory is his, and through the love of the Father, he invites us by faith into victory with him. As you continue in this world, you will continue to face the world's attacks. The world will hate you. You will face trouble because you are in the world. But you are also in Christ. You abide in him, and he has overcome the world. His example is our power, yes, but it is also our comfort and confidence. Whatever it is, 
that God requires of you right now, it can be done. He has overcome the world.